Welcome to Beyond Speaking with Brian Lord, a podcast featuring deeper conversations with the world's top speakers. Welcome to the Beyond Speaking Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Lord. Ryan Estes is our guest today. Ryan spent 15 years helping companies connect with employees and customers as an ad agency executive, building a client roster of category-leading brands. 12 years ago, he decided to put that experience into practice and launch his own research and learning organization. Ryan has afforded an insider look of what the world's best companies do differently, and he shares that insight by helping clients initiate change, improve performance, and deliver growth. His writing has been featured in Forbes, Inc., Fast Company, and Entrepreneur. Uh, he was recognized as one of the best keynote speakers ever heard by Meeting and Conventions Magazine. As you can see before you, in a much smaller ceremony, he was recognized as having the best stubble in the speaking industry. Wow. Ryan, welcome. Indeed. Yeah, the, re- the remnants of a pandemic. It's good to be with you, Brian. Yeah. Well, I'm glad to have you here. So my job got really easy. So I posted on LinkedIn. I was like, what questions should I ask Ryan? And I got a ton of them. So I really didn't have to prepare. I, I barely learned your name for this one. Um, but uh, you're so well known. You don't need don't need too much help. So we got some great questions. Um, so if you're cool with it, we'll just uh, jump into those. Yeah, fire away. All right. So uh, the first question is from Leah Christine. Uh, she asked, lots of people display a great passion for what they do, but it often stems from somewhere. I'm curious, where does Ryan's deep passion for his work come from, and how does he continue to bring his best self to his audiences? Yeah, so it's a, it's a beautiful question. I think in part, the passion stems from being raised by two schools. Uh, so I had a passion for learning, um, and at the start of my professional career, just became a, a you know growth junkie. I was really into sort of this whole self-improvement move, movement. Read a lot of books, books on tape, which became a deep, deep passion of mine. And, and the learning became a conviction for teaching. And as I moved up in my corporate career, became an executive, a leader, had an opportunity to inspire, influence, to impact other people. Um, you know, I think I'd arrived at a place where I wanted to do that in a bigger way. And, and the transition to my own business was an opportunity to do that. So the passion really comes from the opportunity to impact. I believe speaking is an act of service and it's something to give. And it really isn't about me. It's about the impact you can have on other people. So that's where it comes from. I'm curious to know, a lot of people who are big on growth have certain times when they actually do it. So like, for me, I like to read while I'm eating breakfast. Like, I'm like, okay, I'm gonna grow here. What times throughout the day do you specifically focus on growth that you kind of have programmed in? Yeah, so I, I have a pretty pretty dialed in morning routine that I think is a catalyst for personal growth. And then evening too, I'm pretty much off television. I'm watching podcasts and YouTube videos and I'm reading books. That's kind of a nighttime routine, pre, pre-bed routine, but you know, travel, um, you know, the way I traveled prior to the last 18 to 24 months, um, you know, I was traveling every week. And so, you know, the back of an Uber, the plane, I mean, those are libraries. Now you put your headphones on, you got audible, you download a podcast and I mean, you really can be expanding on a regular basis. So I think some of that sort of input and then introspection that that's really where I grow. So, and last thing I'll say about that is immersive learning. I'm a big fan of also. So the idea of, you know, kind of getting off the grid for three or four days, doing something immersive, whether, whether it's a retreat, a workshop, one-on-one with a coach. I'm a big fan of a couple of those checkpoints uh, at intervals throughout the year. I think that's a catalyst for, for expansion too. 
What are some of the things like maybe two or three things you're reading and two or three podcasts that you listen to? Yeah, I'm, I've always been a uh, I, I've always been a big fan of Tony Robbins. Uh, I think, you know, he kind of built the biggest mountain, sort of the self-help business. And uh, I lo- I've loved his live events. And so I'm a big fan of his podcast. Uh, another podcast that I love is uh, Tim Ferriss. I just think um, part of it's the quality of the guest. So I, I do listen to Joe Rogan. Aubrey Marcus uh, on it is another sort of lifestyle podcast. Peter T is one I love for longevity. So that's probably four or five of, of, you know, my best listens. Oh, another one, Brene Brown. I love her writing. I love her perspective. Her podcast is um, phenomenal. And I, and I still think to this day, uh, the best interviewer of all time is Oprah Winfrey. And so she produces her own podcast and she gets the best guests in the world. And uh, that's a really powerful one for insight and expansion. So those are those are a handful of my favorites. <laughs> Great. Uh, so uh, next question comes from Michelle Foster. What are your future? What are your thoughts on the future of remote work? Yeah, I, I, I think remote work is the is a real reality. And you know, it's interesting to me. I um in my corporate co- career, um, I I I led a remote team for ten years, you know, fifteen years, and we had um we had sixty regional satellite offices and sort of two two hubs. It was an advertising and communications company. So even before the advent of all this wonderful technology we had now, you know, I, I was influencing, inspiring, trying to impact people that reported to me all over the United States. So I have a lot of experience with this. And I think the new reality is, you know, you, whether you call it the great reset, the great resignation, the big quit, you know, it's it's a response and a reset to the way we organize work in our lives. And I actually think the reality of this is that it's going to be hybrid work. So we're going to come together at intervals. We're going to work in different places at intervals. Um, and it's going to be a little more chaotic and confusing than maybe what we've experienced previously. But I think it's going to be way better for the health of people and ultimately for the success and sustainability of our organizations. Why do you think that's so, other than just the fact that it's changed, what do you think gives you know, leaders who are trying to make these choices, what do you think gives them the most pause? Well, I think it's, I think it's resistance to change. It's just not what we know and it's not the way we've done things. And I think for a lot of leaders, you know, if you're around my age, right, you had to earn your stripes. You had to be at your desk at 7.30. And if you left before, you know, somebody in the corner of the office left at 6 p.m., you weren't working hard enough. And it was, it was almost this badge of honor or rite of passage to, you know, hustle and work your face off and, you know, come in on the weekends. And, and you know, the reality is that's over. And, and if you don't think it's over, look around, right? Look what's happening on Wall Street. You know, look, look at the researcher interviews from kids coming out of the Ivy League who aren't interested in working at law firms or investment banks and putting their dues in at 100 hours a week. And, and so, you know, if, if talent is something that you want to make a sustainable competitive advantage, and, and I believe it is, it, it needs to be then ultimately, I think we're going to have to adjust some of those things as leaders and managers. But, you know, just because it's the way we've always done things just doesn't mean it's the way we should keep doing them. Um, now, look, you, you can also make a case that there's tremendous value for coming together in person in terms of collaboration, ideation, innovation. And I, I believe that's true. So the interval 
gets determined by the business need. And I, I work in a, you know, a, a dispersed organization right now, but we come together at intervals, both using technology and then we travel and we come together in person at a certain cadence that the business warrants because that's the best way to move forward. So, so both are required. And I think it's leaders and managers just getting comfortable with that shift. And what's the kind of the new way for accountability? Because like in the old way, you know, you could say you were accountable because you were at your desk at 730. Uh, yeah. And what's kind of the new wave you would you see for, for the future of work when it comes to employee, leader, you know, accountability with each other? So, and so in, in the most simple terms, it's performance over presence, right? I mean, it's, it's we're going to be held accountable to a result or an outcome um, not being visible or at our desk. And so I think um, it, it may require a bit of additional communication and a layer of, you know, kind of open, open feedback, um, two-way communication. Um, but I think in the best organization and, and cultures, that was happening anyway before the pandemic. And what we've seen over the last 18 to 24 months, it's been this great grand experiment. Right. And it accelerated the adoption of this because we were forced to. And I think in many respects, it proved out that people can be productive when given the autonomy and being held accountable to a result. And to me, that's a good recipe for the future of work. Yeah, I like that. One other thing you mentioned, too, was like earning your stripes. I'm curious to know what's the way uh, we talk so much about how leaders need to communicate to that next generation. How does that next generation earn their stripes like if you were to give your you know talk about these people graduating for ivy league how what can you tell them about how they can earn their stripes sort of in this modern world to their higher ups like i, I know it kind of goes both ways the generations thing it, it does go both ways and what i would tell young people is you know prepare for impact contribute look for opportunities to do more than is expected you know continue to stay a student volunteer for tough ex- assignments, stretch, grow, you know, when you, when you get out of school and get into your career, the learning really just starts and to, you know, stay a student, look for opportunities and then, and then, you know, involve yourself. I think giving that feedback to your manager is imperative, you know, have have some perspective about where you want to be a year from now, three years from now, make sure you're communicating that up and what your needs and expectations are invest in you. That's the best advice I can have invest in you deliver results, get really, really good at something and opportunities will expand for you. Yeah, I love that. Cause that's one of those things you, you think through like so much of the mentorship, like I had probably you had too, was you're walking down the hall and you're like, Hey, is that right? If I get 10 minutes with you, like go to get coffee or go to lunch or something like that. Cause you're trying to find these mentors and you're 20 something, whatever. How is that happening now? Yeah. So certainly, right. Certainly I think it can happen the same way. So it certainly can happen that way, but it, but I think, I think seeking out a good mentor, I've actually written a lot about this. I, I believe in something called a personal board of directors. I call it a PBOD. So I think it's great insight at any stage of your career. I have one personally, and it's, it's really having some, doing some inspection and say, Hey, where are my opportunities for growth? And then who do I know in my sphere of influence that I respect, trust, or has a skill or competency that I covet and I need some support developing. And then, and then reaching out with some express invitation or ask of those people. And it's great if there can be reciprocity, right? If you can give something back in return, but formalizing those relationships. And I have, I have eight people now in my life that I can meet with on a regular informal basis when I'm challenged that can expand my perspective and thinking. And it's dramatically improved, you know, my approach, uh, my success, 
uh, the growth of my business, and I think in many respects, the quality of my life. So, uh, and it's and it's amazing too, people are often intimidated just to ask. The worst that somebody can do is say no, <laughs> or they, they don't have the time. But I've found that um, if you do it the right way, that, that really gifted people often want to give back. And I think that's, that's uh, something that's been pretty profound, and it has absolutely accelerated my journey. I've, I've never worked professionally without a mentor, and I've never worked uh, over the last decade at any time without a, a professional coaching relationship. So I'm, I'm a big believer in investing in myself, and it accelerates my returns. I know you do a lot of research. Uh, research. What are some of the global, work, global workforce trends you're seeing out there? All right. Well, resignation. Uh, a cut, cut, there's, a, there's a huge cut, desire for balance, autonomy, flexibility. Tell you the, the other thing that's happening, I think there's been a, a reset in the expectations that employees have of their leader or manager. We would, we would expect a wholly different kind of relationship, somebody that invests in us as people and, and really has the perspective of the whole person. So that's not just interested in supporting our you know, performance and results in the organization, but that knows us personally, isn't invested in us. Um, you know, and helping us grow and get where we want to go. So there's been a pretty dynamic and dramatic shift in the expectations of leaders. I, I think another huge workforce trend, um, and it's sort of a long tail implication of this crisis, is that um, you know the mental health and well-being of our workforce is it's just such a critical issue right now. And so you, you see a lot of employers really, I think, reconfiguring their effort to make additional investment in taking care of their people. And I think that's the, the right thing to do. The other thing, uh, the last one I'll comment on, is just the accelerated pace of transformation and change. Change is sort of the new normal. So we're going to be we're going to be existing and living in this perpetual or continual state of reinvention. And at times that can feel overwhelming and exhausting. They come. Um, there was research that the average white collar worker during the last 18 months was working approximately three more hours a day. And that's a pace that isn't sustainable or healthy. So we have to really, you know, part of the challenge with the great resignation is as people exit, there's an additional burden on the people that are still there. And, and at some point, you know, we have to reset some of those things you know, to give people a bit of balance um, to live their lives. And so I think we're, we're navigating a tumultuous time, but for the leaders and organizations that can figure that the solve for those things, exponential opportunity exists. In Passion on Purpose, you talk a lot about building culture as a competitive advantage. What are the first steps leaders can take? I know you mentioned some of the things just now, but that uh, leaders can take in building a better culture. Yeah, so a couple of things. Um, so there's a philosophy, like an overarching premise, right? Put people first. Performance and profitability follow. So take care of your people. I also think, um, you know, setting some long-range visions. So, that, you know, clarity and confidence. One of the biggest reasons people disengage is they don't have confidence in their senior leadership or they lack confidence or clar clarity in, in where the organization is going and how that, at the individual level, they can best contribute to it. So clearly defined vision, clearly defined direction, strategy, where we're going, and then systems for, you know, creating clearly defined expectations at the individual level of holding people accountable. Right. So that all of that clarity, confidence in the future is largely a communication issue. 
While we have more tools and technology to communicate, employees report they are starving for clarity, confidence, and more communication from their senior leadership. So a lot of this is one-on-one, one-to-many communication, but we need, we need executive presence. We need clarity, confidence in the future. We need good crisis management communication skills. And they need to give employees those things. They're a lot more, they're a lot more invested um, and engaged in the mission of the organization. So, and then the, the one-to-one relationship with management is so important. So I'd say the last box to check is develop the capability and competency of your leadership team. Invest in, in that talent um, because ultimately that's the biggest return on culture you can get. So. What advice you give for leaders to become more authentic? Yeah, vulnerability is, you know, is the gateway to authenticity, right? So, you know, one of the things I talk to leaders about is just go first. I think um, a real great self a real great self assessment question as a leader, if you know, if you're going to create expectations and hold people accountable, are you managing yourself that way, right? So, have you clearly communicated to the team what people can expect from you, and then are you delivering on that behavior consistently? And um, if you're doing that, it's a lot easier to hold people accountable to your high expectations. So go first. Um, you know, if you want to lead high performance teams, you've got to lead yourself first. It starts with you. Model the right behavior and continue to work on yourself. Those two things are critical. Um, how do you feel you've evolved since becoming a speaker? What's your secret sauce for success? Well, I'd say I'd say it's two things. Um, you know, there's a, I don't think there is a secret sauce. I really don't. Uh, and if there is, I don't have. Um, so and will be so disappointed yeah so (laughs) my my secret sauce is hard work um but there are there are two elements of that um you know one i talk a lot about getting closer to the customer so the degree that i can do you you know additional bit research discovery due diligence to to really understand the customer you know instead of thinking about giving a presentation i like to position myself as somebody that can come in and solve some problems so you know where are the pain points the areas of concern or where are the opportunities that i can touch on and accelerate and you know being able to do that type of due diligence and then uh, align messaging that i think meets that highest order development need is the way to approach a keynote really making it a whole lot less about me and a whole lot more about what that particular client needs at that particular moment in time. So that's the first thing. Then um, the second thing I would say, if I have a secret sauce, taking a little bit of my own medicine, it's investing in me. I mean, you've heard some of the things that, you know, I do in terms of, you know, coaching and my distributed team and getting support. I have really, really good people around me. And I think one of the words that gets associated with booking me a lot is my energy. And so I do, I do a lot of things. I invest a lot in my own wellness and well-being to be able to maintain that energy level. So, you know, I, I can deliver a, a message that I think is certainly thoughtful and, in, you know, and has good insight and perspective um, and is action oriented, but it's, it's packaged up in a way that I think is entertaining and inspiring. And I think that combination, um, if there's a secret sauce, I suppose that's it. So. <laughs> hey, not, not a bad way to go. Um, so next question from Jane Atkinson. Um, what topics are you talking about more, talking more about now than you did before the pandemic? Well, I, I, I think there's probably three. I think it's, it's selling in a, it's selling in a virtual or hybrid world, right? I mean, you think I do a lot of work with sales organizations and sales leadership teams. And here we are in a situation where, you know, in certain industries and certainly today, 
uh, meeting face to face isn't exactly the way we're doing business. That's one. And I think the same goes for leaders. What are the what are the skills and competencies required to influence culture and lead a high performance team coming through this unique reset in the way we organize work into our lives? That's probably a second. And then the third one, I mean, we have this whole virtual wellness series. You know, our, a lot of our clients needed support with wellness, well-being, mental health. And so we responded to that and developed a whole host of new curriculums through the last 18 months that's been well-received. So those are the those are the top three. Yeah, that's good. And that's, I mean, that's just one of those things you always have to, kind of like what you're talking about, you always have to learn. I mean, you can't talk about your, you know, 2015 topics. I mean, I'm sure there's some of those same things, but, um, you know, that is that is how, you know, things are changing. Um, you know, talking about sales, um, and this is, you, you just sent out this uh, article today, I think, but for salespeople and sales leaders, it's something we've heard forever. How can you shift your mindset from selling on value over price? Right. So, you know, I'm, I'm certainly a big believer that customers don't buy on price. They will default to price in the absence of value, real or perceived in a quality experience. And so part of that is around the customization and personalization. We've got to get closer to the customer and understand what's driving an organization today. So just a few questions you might consider, right, in terms of your value proposition. One, we could probably include it in the show notes. We have a 22-point value proposition checklist you can just download for free off the website. Um, but I think questions that are worth considering, you know, what did customers value and what were you delivering that was unique and differentiated and compelling 18, 24 months ago, right? What do customers need right now that's different? And, and then ultimately, how is, how is it going to inform what customers want from you as a vendor partner in the future? And, and I think, you know, really framing that up because customer expectations have evolved um, through these last eight, 18 to 24 months, and a big part of value, it's answering the question, right, why do customers buy? And maybe even more specifically, what do, what do customers covet uh, that you can deliver specifically that your competition cannot? And that starts to get into the unique differentiation that can position you to win consistently and protect your margins at the same time. What are some of the ways you're, the new ways of connecting with clients? Because I know you've mentioned that a lot. Um, you know, like right now I'm seeing like a lot of clients don't have voicemail. A lot of them don't even have phone numbers. Um, you know, what's, what's the way you connect with people in that world? Well, I, I think the way we're doing it today, right. Is a, it, it, I, I think in some respects it's become a huge selling advantage. I mean, I want the cameras on anytime I can connect with a prospective buyer. Um, that's, that's a win for me for sure. Uh, so I think that's one way. And then I think, you know, content marketing has played a big role in the way we do things. Like, like you, you mentioned this today, Ryan, I read this article today about rights. Uh, so, you know, you're in my community, you're consuming my content, you're getting perspective on my, on my thinking, on our research, on what we're publishing and promoting. Um, and, and that's the way that our customers are responding. So um, I think, part of differentiating yourself as an expert in your industry is producing content that, you know, the, that, that positions you favorably. And so that to me is way more valuable um, than making a hundred outbound phone calls and leaving voicemails all day, because to your point that, that uh, the way maybe a way to uh, frame that up, if you're not getting referred and you're not getting found, you're relying on antiquated interruption based go-to-market techniques that between now and 2025 will only have a diminishing return on activity. So you got to get referred. You got to get found. All right. So last question here. Um, you're great at giving people actionable tools to help them make change. 
What are some simple things you can uh, tell, share with our audience here um, that you can do to help them make change as soon as they finish listening to this interview? All right. So the first thing I want you to do is um, we're going to attach a guide that I, I wrote 12 months ago, middle of a pandemic, how to create meaningful change in your life. All my tips, insights, tricks, frameworks for going on a change journey. But I'll give you a couple of very specific things. Um, and then the, the guide's free, you know, so any of the listeners can have access to that. You need to set a clear target, right? So, so a destination, that's where I'm going, right? So I'm here today, I'm going there. And then you need to reverse engineer, right? The activities that are required to move you on that journey. Too often without that clarity, people just go through the motions. They end up way over here and, and they wake up one day and say, wait a minute, I was supposed to be over here. So you have to have clarity in where you're going, and then a roadmap to get there. And I think another really important part of this is to understand the consequences of not embracing the change. So answer these questions. How's it going to feel if nothing changes 12 months from now? How's that going to feel for you personally? Who else is that going to impact? Maybe your family, maybe your friends, maybe your partners, maybe your team members. What if nothing happens? What if nothing changes in five years? And you continue down this present course. What's that going to feel like? And you know, what are the implications, right? Um, because the reality is there's no status quo. You're either growing or advancing, right? You're either making progress or today at the accelerated pace of change, you're likely retraining. So, you know, understanding how to get down, create momentum and to get down the path of change, reinvention, transformation, or even growth, I think is critical to our success personally, professionally, and the success of our businesses. And so that's why we wrote the change guide. Those are a few highlights, but I think if you download that, you'll have a very trusted companion on your journey through 2022. Great, great. Well, thank you for sharing that. We'll make sure to have that uh, have that in there with the podcast, with the notes and, and everything else. So Ryan, thank you uh, so much for joining us and uh, on behalf of Premier Speakers and National Speakers, uh, thank you for being part of the uh, Beyond Speaking Podcast. Thank you for joining us for the Beyond Speaking Podcast. To learn more about today's guest, go to beyondspeak.com. Make sure to leave a review and subscribe wherever you listen.